Welcome back to Reels and Riffs on WWSU 106.9 FM. For our final segment, one-on-one, we are joined by a very special guest. He is a famous writer, producer, director, comic book writer, and occasional actor who has contributed to many fan-favorite hits, such as Judge and Amy, Warehouse 13, Limitless, Charlie's Angels, and more. But he's probably best known currently as the co-creator, writer, and producer of the current CBS adventure show Blood and Treasure. Steven Skyett, everybody, how are you today? I'm good, good. It's uh, it's fun to be with you. It's fun to have you on the show. So let's start out strong. You studied film at Emerson College before you broke into the industry. In what True. ways did your educational background in film benefit your later work as a director and writer for TV? Okay. And what mentors or role models had a positive impact on you during your time at university? You know, it's it's funny that, um, that you ask because I always... When people always ask, like, what was what was college like? I don't remember the classes as well as I remember the experience of it because Emerson was a very hands-on school. So you would go and you would take your classes, but really where the camaraderie happened and where you learned and honed your craft was in extracurriculars. So Emerson had a radio station, two radio stations, a TV station, a film club, um, a second film club, and everyone was always working on projects. And so... What I loved about Emerson was not only did I make friends that I still work with to this day, I also got to work on a lot of different things where I got to taste a lot of the different parts of the business to make sure I was finding the, the, the part of the business that would work best for me. And I think that um, much like Wright State, which I know has a really great film program, to me the fun part is doing it. It's not about just learning it. And so to me the mentors that I remember the best for the students that I went to school with who were always pulling people on a Saturday or a Sunday to go um, either down into the city or out to the Cape to go shoot this one piece or jump on this boat and go uh, research this thing. And so everyone always kept everyone else very busy in college. And that's one of the things I liked best about it. When I think back on it, like it was one of the best times of my life because I, I never sat still. So it sounds like it wasn't like the ed- the actual like lessons and education that really stuck with you. It was just the experiences that you kind of forged through your like different friends and different associates at the college. Yeah, and we, which isn't to say the classes weren't interesting. I mean, there's still things to this day that I thought were really useful. Where you know, not only the history classes like the um, you know the history of the studio system that we took at Emerson, but also um, of a class I remember really well was called Novel into Film. And it was all about how to, how adaptations had been done and how to do them. And to be honest, I mean, that's so much of the business now is adapting things. And so those are lessons that I still take with me every day whenever I look at a project or read a book or watch a, a movie to adapt. Um, it's the things I learned in that class that I'm, I'm, the fundamentals I'm bringing to the project. Interesting. So I know you broke into the industry as a production assistant on The West Wing, and then that landed you a job as a writer on Judge and Amy. What were some important skills or experiences that you picked up during that early, very early point in your career? And how do those like early lessons apply to the work you do now? You know what, it's, it's really interesting where, you know, West Wing to me was kind of like graduate school. So after Emerson came out to LA and got that, did a few other random jobs, but then actually landed that job on the West Wing through an Emerson student that I knew. And as the writer's PA, you became the first conduit for information. So anytime uh, Aaron Sorkin, who, who was the writer and ran that show, 
um, anytime he had scripts that would come out, no matter what time, day or night they would be, because sometimes it would be really interesting times of day or night or the weekends. Your job was to rush in, make copies and start delivering them. And you had to learn very quickly who the most important people were based on what was in the what was in the, the pages that had come out. So let's say uh, something would come off the copy machine because back in those days we weren't allowed to email stuff yet. Um, you'd read the scene and there'd be a new prop or there'd be a new location. And your job was to make sure you got it into the hands of the prop master or locations so they'd be ready to work with it, whether it was the next day or a week from then. You knew that was the most important thing. That makes a lot of sense. So coming back to scripts, I'm curious about what your typical creative process for developing scripts for the shows that you've worked on, and in what ways do you work with like the directors or the producers to bring your ideals to the screen? Well, I think that the most important thing is for a, a script, knowing these days how long it takes to get something made, you've really got to love, you've got to love not just the idea, but the world, and you've got to want to be able to spend a couple years with it and have it not lose interest and be able to keep the sort of passion for the idea alive as it, as it will, you know, no doubt go through multiple, multiple changes because of the needs of whatever the studio is or the, um, the director you hire or the actor you bring on board. It's like the, the script is always just the blueprint. And so you've got to be, re- you've got to be able to be flexible, but still know at the core what the, sh- what your story is about, but also maintain that sort of love and interest in it that as people start taking their wax out of it as they go down the line. You never lose sight of what is important to you and, and ultimately what makes a successful story is that passion combined with the opportunity to really put together a good show. So it sounds so, like you really have to like like the ideal and kind of like continue to like it beyond just kind of that initial like um, reaction to it. Exactly, because so much of the so these days so much of the idea is based on either, like we were talking about, um, they call it IP, uh, intellectual property. So it's based on a, a book or a movie or a video game or something. If it's not something you're interested in, it's gonna be really hard to be successful with it. Um, and if it's an, an original idea, it's gotta be an idea that you wanna spend the time with because everyone's gonna always be testing you, asking you questions, challenging your, your opinions and assumptions and ideas. And so you really wanna know it backwards and forwards better than anybody else so you can give great answers that help make the story better. You have to be really passionate about it for it mm-hmm. actually to turn out to be like a good property in the end. Exactly. So coming to your most recent project, Blood and Treasure, which you co-created with your frequent collaborator, Matthew Felderman, and you currently act as both writer, producer, and probably more. When did you and Matthew initially conceive the basic ideal for the show? And what struggles did you face in getting the show greenlit? So here's a great example of you gotta love it a lot. <laughs> you gotta love the idea a lot. This started um, when Matt and I started writing together. We had a shared love of treasure hunter stories, and so I think we sold our first treasure hunter story. Mm, we were we were we were baby writers, so it was probably a solid 15 years ago. And we 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 had a little niche for ourselves where we were the guys that were really good at the treasure hunter story, and for whatever reason. Um, those those either scripts we sold or or stories we were pitching never really went anywhere until we we kind of caught up with the idea uh, I think it would have been let's see the end of 2016 or the summer of 2016 so four years ago um, where the idea was we had learned that 
ISIS at that time was funding their terrorism with blood antiquities. So they would roll into a city and you'd see on the news them blowing up ancient treasures. Before they blew anything up, they'd, they'd bring out their saws, they'd cut it all down and sell it to oligarchs for a gazillion dollars and use that money to fund their extremism. And when we heard about that, we finally figured out, I see the thing we've been missing all along, which is there were no stakes to treasure hunting. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark has great stakes. You got to get the Ark before the Nazis do, or else they'll take over the world. But in a more modern day version of it, it's really hard to sell the importance of art antiquities to an audience who is used to um, the world ending, either by Death Star or um, terrorist bomb plot. <laughs> and so it was a really great way to get into that story. And so we probably started that as a as one version of that story in 2016. It didn't. It didn't go as a um, as sort of like a regular fall CBS procedural, but the executives at CBS saw the value in the idea, and they offered us the chance to redevelop it as a summer series. Which means instead of them greenlighting just one pilot, if the show got greenlit, they'd greenlit greenlight all 13 episodes at once, and we'd make the entire show. Which was it, at the moment, it felt like a real bummer to kind of go back to square one, but in the end, it turned out to be the best thing that happens to us because the ability to make 13 episodes at once knowing you're going to make them gave us the ability to really uh, block shoot and gave us the chance to travel the world and I think that's one of the best parts of that show is we are a we're a, we're a vacation for folks who might not otherwise get to take a vacation that's actually one of the strongest parts from watching the first few episodes that really like came through to me like the beautiful locales that you guys film in yeah, and, and that's that's not by coincidence. It, re- it really is that every season, where the last two seasons starts with um, me, a production designer and a producer, getting on the road and traveling to the places in the world where we're thinking of shooting that year. So um, first season was uh, more of a Middle Eastern, Mediterranean story. So we went to Italy and scouted Southern Italy and Morocco and kind of the places that would, du- that would double well for dusty Middle East. <clears throat> knowing that Montreal was going to be our hub and Montreal has the benefit of being both uh, Western looking but also European um, in its architecture so it it covered the basis for sort of Northern and Central Europe Um, and then second season uh, we go on uh, more of a an Eastern Eastern Bloc slash uh, Southeast Asian adventure so that was a a trip to Southeast Asia to scout locations there to find the the great spots for us so it sounds like the set-in choice kind of influenced how you guys developed the plot. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and vice versa. Because when you find out, when you go to a place, as the, as the writing was happening in the writer's room, I got to go take a trip uh, for two weeks to Thailand and see things that were like, wow, this is really amazing. They have this thing that I'd never, we, none of us had ever heard of before. We were, I was able to bring it back to the room and make it part of the story. I was wondering, what were some of the biggest difficulties that you guys faced while filming on location? Uh, (laughs) I mean, you'd be surprised, but also, um, you know, it's just, it's, I think it's just tough shooting on location anywhere. I think we had as many tough days in Montreal, which basically is like considered that a home game, um, as any of our away games, because in Montreal in the wintertime, it is cold. It is dangerously cold. And you need to be shooting in the wintertime in the snow, and that presents technical challenges. But then also, you know, this past season, 
in Thailand, we were on a on the, the, the top of a 40-story skyscraper in Bangkok on a helicopter pad that was all concrete and steel um, at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on the hottest day of the year. And that presents its own challenges. And it's really interesting to see how when you get past the um, the sort of like the glamour of movie making, how everything becomes the same no matter where you are. You The problems are always the same. Not enough time, uh, not enough light, not enough money. And uh, when you're working with a really good local production crew, they can help you navigate all the things you think would be problems like visas or the peculiarities of a location. Because lots of times you have uh, what one of our directors calls cinematic immunity, where you get to go places and do things and skip the velvet rope that other people would never get to do. And that really gives you the opportunity to show some really cool stuff on TV that you wouldn't normally get to see. So it sounds like like wherever you are, you're going to face like kind of similar problems, but just being able to like get there and like um, kind of manage those problems is the most important thing. Yeah, and, and you'd be you you might be surprised to know that the crews in Bangkok were better than the crews in New York that I worked with. You know what I mean? Like everyone, every place you go, there are craftsmen and there are artists, and they know how to make the best version of the product and that's that's the thing that I love is like finding those people no matter where you are in the world and finding that common bond which is cinema and being able to make it together it definitely sounds like an industry where you would meet like all different kinds of people who like kind of share your passion for like cinema and like writing scripts and doing all these different behind the scenes things for like TV shows and movies yes absolutely and, and also it helps too when you are in a place where um, let's say the person in charge happens to like movies a lot or TV shows and you get to have certain problems go away. I, I remember uh, first season, we needed a, a cargo plane for um, an episode, one of the first few episodes of the show. Um, and I believe the cargo plane was supposed to be like story-wise, it was going from Zurich to Rome. Um, and we were having a lot of trouble finding it. We couldn't find one. It was a C-130 we needed. Couldn't find it in, in North America because um, the United States government couldn't help us in Canada and the Canadian government wasn't interested in helping us and we had trouble finding in Italy because the Italians don't actually use that type of plane and so we were, we were having a lot of trouble finding it until we went scouting in Morocco and one of our days uh, at, uh, one of our dinners after scouting in Morocco I was having dinner with our producer director our, our, our executive, one of our executive producers and then the local production team that we'd hired to help us in Morocco. And I was just sort of having a, a conversation about how frustrating it was that we couldn't have found that C-130 in Italy. And one of the guys was like, oh, what's what's the problem? And I explained the situation. And he said, okay, <clears throat> maybe I can help you. And he pulled out his phone, dialed the number. We kept talking about whatever we kept talking about. And at a certain point he stopped and goes, oh, sorry to interrupt, um, how's Thursday? We're like, Thursday for what? He's like, oh, um, well, I'm on with the king, and he said you can have one of his C-130s. Uh, we just got to go to the air base, and uh, it, it's Thursday okay to go pick out a C-130 for you guys. Oh, wow. <laughs> I was like, perfect. And uh, and sure enough, we went the, you know, that day, we, we they, were, they were all lined up on the tarmac. The general who showed us in walked us right past security, said, point at the one you want. It'll be there on whatever day it was, November 3rd. And you can you guys can shoot with it all day. Sounds like it's it all was, who you know. And it was just because the king really loves movies and TV. 
Oh, wow. So, going back to the story for Blood and Treasure, I was wondering, what were some of your biggest influences for the show? I know you mentioned Raiders of the Lost Ark, which I kind of got that while, like, watching the first few episodes. I kind of got a Indiana Jones kind of mixed with, like, Uncharted and with the humor of Warehouse 13. I don't know, like, how, like, accurate that would be, but I'm curious, like, what were some of the biggest influences for you guys, and how did those, how did those influences factor into the creation and the, of the show's story and tone? So those are all very big influences for us. I think another another big one for us was Romancing the Stone, which was a great version of sort of a, of a romantic comedy set against adventure. And it's all about the chemistry of the two leads. But also, you know, we all grew up watching sort of like the, the last great era of um, 80s action adventure shows. And so it's, it's a little bit... Um, well, it's a little bit Remington Steel. It's a little bit the A Team. Um, I think you know, as the as we did our production, and they kept making their movies. It, it, it's got a lot of Mission Impossible in it too, um, where it becomes very team based. And I think that that's that's something we really like in the second season, is sort of bringing up the team. Interesting. So I was wondering, how much creative control do you have while working on Blood and Treasure? And in what ways do you have to balance, like, studio opinion with what direction you guys want to take the show? Um, it's, it's interesting because creatively, you know, I'm in charge, and me and the other executive producers are the, the last word in who gets to do what. But at the same time, everyone's got a boss, right? And so creatively, we have a lot of freedom. But that comes with um, notes on every step of the process. So we have executives at the studio and executives at the network. The studio is who makes the show. The network is who buys the show and airs it. Um, and in this conglomerate world now, it's all one organization, but it's still two separate entities. So there's a studio inside Viacom, and there's the network inside Viacom, which is CBS. And so, um, at every step of the way, you'll get you'll get their thoughts. So you'll get notes in just generally when we pitch the idea of a season. Then you get notes on your story areas, which are generally a, a paragraph or so long synopsis of that episode. Then you'll get um, those notes on your outlines, which could be anywhere from eight to twenty pages long, detailing what happens in every episode. Then when the script comes out, we'll get notes on that. So every step of the way you're gonna get notes from someone. And the really great collaborators at Studio Network are all helping to make the same show, but uh, but there's there can be bumpy times on a show where not everyone has quite figured out what the show is or they all think it should be something different. That's when shows get complicated or frankly turn out not so good because everyone's pulling in a different direction. And you can really tell um, the importance of a good studio or network executive because they're the ones who see the show you're trying to make but they also are able to balance that with what they know the studio network needs to help you bridge that gap to make the show that works best for everybody it sounds like you don't want a too many cooks kind of situation where everybody is trying to pull in in all these different directions yes exactly because no matter how aligned your goals can be in a creative job like this it's like boy you you just don't know like the, the reason you can all decide to love the same movie but if everyone has to tell you the reason why they love it it could be a million different reasons why 
and the final product like suffers if it's like exactly that's happening. If some, some people love Blend Treasure because of the travel. Some people love Blend Treasure because of the comedy. Some love because of the romance. Some so you just so you're trying to make sure there's there's something there for everybody, but at the same time you've got to know your show or movie well enough so that when people start asking you to put more of this or less of that you know why you say yes or no and how much that goes in the mix um, just to make sure that you you never lose that vision and your show doesn't get your show doesn't break under the stress of all those people trying to give their feedback it sounds like you need to have balance of a very clear direction mm-hmm so, you recently started a class for new talent within the TV and film industry in LA. For like, What were the most important lessons that you typically cover with your students, and why do you think that such a class is a necessity? I, I just think that surviving in LA is, is so much about being able to be a good collaborator, and no one gets to make anything on their own anymore, especially in this world of amalgamation where... Um, you know, generally, it takes it takes a village to uh, to to make someone's singular creative vision real. And I think, to me, the most important thing is to be a good listener and communicator. And then, inside of that, knowing that um, you need to know the story you're telling. So when people either try to help you make it, you can give them quick answers. Or you you know right away when someone's offering you something that doesn't quite work. And I think, for example, you know, casting. I remember when we were trying to cast Blood and Treasure, the network had a lot of ideas about what a Danny McNamara should be, and uh, and it didn't quite sync up with our our vision at first. And it took us a long time to find the right person. So much so that I believe Matt Barr was hired two days before we started shooting. I think we literally called him. Um, he, he tested with us three times already and we called him one afternoon to tell him he got the job and he was thrilled and excited and couldn't wait to get started and like so what's the time frame couple weeks couple months we're like no no you're you're leaving tomorrow morning oh wow right <laughs> you're leaving the tomorrow wire. morning for nine months and uh, there there has been no better partner uh, on that adventure than Matt Barr who is just such a great collaborator and so easy going about it but also what was really cool about Matt is Matt became Danny and also Danny became Matt and you know you have a vision in your head of what a character is and then when the actors come in you've got to you've got to let that go the same way um, you would when a director comes in because it's it's not necessarily just your vision anymore it's this thing that's it's it's different and you're adding all those pieces and that's where collaboration is important because Matt perfect guy to play Danny McNamara but our original Danny was more Boston than Texas but because Matt's so Texas we wanted to bake that into his character and so we were able to rewrite the character a little bit throughout the season to incorporate more of that so it made more sense it sounds like through collaboration you end up with a better product that kind of um, more closely aligns with the people you're working with and kind of gives brings in these extra and like new ideals yeah one of one of the people uh, I worked with used to say hire smart people then let them do their jobs micromanaging is a is a is a time-honored tradition in hollywood but it's not necessarily one that suits the needs of a show creatively especially nowadays i think that's something that kind of gets missed by a lot of people like from the outside from just looking into like um just watching a movie or tv show where they don't really understand the collaboration they kind of just look at like the 
the head director or like the you know the author and they're like you know yeah. they're the only person really driving this but it really takes like all these different people to like finish and like put out this final product yeah and, and someone can have a vision for a thing like george lucas can have a vision for star wars but he couldn't have done that by himself and he'll be the first to tell you that and it's really interesting how things change for the better when you sort of open yourself up to the smart people you've hired, trusting them to do the right things um, to make your show a reality. So, final two questions. But what was the most difficult moment of your career, and how did you get through it? This this last year with the pandemic has been really, really difficult. Um, we were in the middle of shooting our season. It was really imp- we were in Thailand when everything really got got hot um, in the world, and it was really difficult not being able to finish but then knowing that we needed to finish the show but not knowing how or when or even where in the world we would be able to do that again and so the springtime was a lot of time spent watching what we had rewriting the scripts that we hadn't finished yet uh, or the pieces of scripts and figuring out a game plan so that when we did get back up into production we were able to do everything we were missing um, including pieces from other parts of the world, knowing that we only had one place we could go and do it. And that was Italy. And so Italy had to double for a lot of different things, including Southeast Asia. And that was probably the most challenging thing I've ever dealt with, which is at no point can, can the answer be, we can't do it. It's got to be, okay, how do we do this? And it, and it really became, to me, a, a months-long personification of one of my favorite scenes in a movie, um, in Apollo 13, when they have the um, the two different canisters for the um, uh, for the the airflow, and they've got the square one and the round one, and they say we've got to make this one fit into this one using only this, and they point to the table and it's all the pieces of things that are inside the capsule. And to me, that's what that entire spring became about. You got to make the impossible possible. You got to make it work mm-hmm. somehow. Yep. No is not an answer. Final question. What is the proudest moment of your career, and why? That's a great question. I think if I can bring this thing in for a landing this season, that'll be it. Oh, season two of Blend Treasure. Yeah, yep. With all the challenges and everything, I think that'll be a that'll be a really satisfying moment when it finally gets on TV. Just listening to you, it, it definitely I'm getting across how much of a Herculean task it is to just like get a show made so just like having it on the air and having like the fans being able to watch it will be like probably really um like a really moment of pride that you got that made absolutely and and the 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 hundreds of people on multiple continents all over the world that all contributed to it i mean like it's been going on so long now that 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 we've lost people we've added people people babies have been born it's like it really has become this thing um, this sort of like worldwide uh, family and it's been a great experience so bringing it home is, is, is part of that I think that's a great note to end on I want to thank you so much for being on the show Steven, it's been great having you here it's been an honor having you here do you have any part in words for our audience? yes, you can do it I, uh, especially for uh, for anybody that's that's listening there in, in, in southwest Ohio it's like, I, I was I was just a kid who watched too many movies and didn't much care for math and didn't really want to become an accountant or a dentist. And I was like, you know, I'd like to make movies someday. And 
turns out you can do it. I didn't know anybody. I'm not related to anybody. Just a lot of hard work and preparation. And that's all luck is. It's hard work is, is luck is just preparation meeting opportunity. Everybody watch Blood and Treasure on CBS and CBS All Access and stay tuned for season two in production right now. That's our show, folks. Good night.